It ain't the left side or the right side, then it must be the fence side. It ain't the left side. Thank you, Solo D. Welcome to another edition of On the Fence Side here with Brian Catanzaro and Paul Pickin. Follow us on Twitter and on Facebook, On the Fence Side. We're going to do something that I don't think any other Dolphin station is going to do. We're going to talk about, in a very short period of time, over the next, I don't know, 45, 60 minutes, we're going to talk at one point or another about every single player in the Miami Dolphins roster. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to go into great detail about every player, or else we'll be here all night, but we're going to at least mention the name of the player throughout the duration of this podcast. So we're, we're going to get right into it. And, Paul, let's start out at the quarterback position right up there at the top. Ryan Tannehill, very good game against the Dallas Cowboys, 12 for 20, 162 yards, two touchdowns, and also had some drop passes too. What do you think? We need him to continue to be what he was in that game. If he can be that quarterback he was in that game Friday night, I think he's finally grown into that big boy contract that everybody's hoped he would grow into, even if they're not big fans. Eight incompletions, five drop passes. Not all of them were smack dab in the hands, wide open. One of them was definitely Jordan Cameron, who we'll get to later. Yeah, Ryan Tannehill, what I really liked in this, it looked like he actually was moving his feet within the pocket. And that got me very excited. And I love the 55-yard pass to Kenny Stills downfield. Get Ryan Tannehill on the move as often as you can. It's a waste of time to have a quarterback who used to be a wide receiver, has great athleticism, and have him stay stationary in the pocket. That's what Philbin and Bill Lazor and Mike Sherman wanted to do with Ryan Tannehill. I'm glad that we're seeing a change there. Matt Moore left the game with a concussion. He should be okay. A little bit of a late slide there. Not too much to report on him. Brandon Dowdy steps in after him. What do you think, Paul? I think he, he regressed a little bit in this game from the previous outing against the Giants. But let's face it, I mean, the kid looks good. He looks like he could definitely be an able and capable backup, and I think he's already better than Matt Moore at this point. So he, I think he could unseat Matt Moore still. This is the third week I'm saying it. I think he's going to unseat Matt Moore and be that second-string quarterback, and if Matt Moore stays and is the second string, that is a contract-only based decision, not a football decision. It would be a contract-only based decision. That's what I think the Dolphins are going to make. I still have Matt Moore and Ryan Tannehill as the only two quarterbacks on the roster. I agree. I think Dowdy did take a step back this week. I question the physical arm talent of Brandon Dowdy. Doesn't mean he's not accurate. Doesn't mean he doesn't make the most out of his opportunities going all the way back to Western Kentucky. But I think he's in a little bit of trouble. Well, no, I'm not going to say he's in a little bit of trouble, but he is really on that on that bubble right now as a seventh-round draft pick. The odds, I'd say, are more in his favor of making the team. So we'll see. I still have him off the team. And Tannehill and Matt Moore as the the two quarterbacks. Zach Dysart also got in there, was with Adam Gase in Denver, and he didn't really make the most out of his opportunities. Can't see a way that he makes the roster. Moving along to the running back position, Paul. Arian Foster, here's a fun stat. You and I combined for zero yards in this game. Arian Foster had negative five. So we out, we outrushed Arian Foster in the Dolphins' three yes, season. Yes, we did. Far. Yes, we did. I'm happy to hear that for myself. A little sad for my fandom and for uh, the team that that's the case. Yeah, and when you you know he only rushed the ball two times, and 
thing is with Arian Foster, a lot of people said, man, he looked really slow on that, on those two carries. But the truth is with Arian Foster, even when he was in his prime, it's hard to differentiate between patience and speed. He was never fast. He always had very good patience. So I'm convinced that as long as the offensive line does its job, that Foster's going to do his. Yeah, and, and one thing I'll say, too, is he had the defense in his face the second he touched the ball. He's not going to be at full speed at that point. So did he look a little slow? Sure, he was trying to find a hole in any which direction. Let's not crucify the guy there. And you really can't judge the running back position on two carries that are negative carries, as opposed to if the guy had two touches, ripped off two 70-yarders, you can judge him on that. But two carries that went negative and really weren't anything where anything was there, you can't judge where somebody's at from that. You can't at all. And anybody that is, I'm sorry, you you just can't. No, you can't really judge a lot on preseason except individual efforts. And if the hole's not there, the hole's not there. So, no, Foster's a professional. We'll we'll see where it goes. Jay Ajayi, I watch him, and I'm sorry, he's he's a player we haven't talked about a whole heck of a lot, but I am actually impressed by the power that he's shown this far in preseason, Paul. Yeah, I know he didn't have a huge stat total in this game, but he really fought for every yard. There, there weren't big holes with that first team line in the running game. I know we talked a little bit about that in previous episodes, so I won't beat it to death. But he fought hard for every yard there, and not just his power, but also he showed a little shifty elusiveness to really just keep his feet and, and be able to worm his way around a couple of people to pick up something when there was nothing there. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing a little bit more of him during the season. He does have that natural power ability. I always compared him to LeGarrette Blunt. I always think, actually, I think he's faster than LeGarrette Blunt, and he's younger than him, too, and he doesn't punch people in the face on a regular basis, so he's got that going for him, too. Kenyon Drake will wait to make sure that he gets healthy before he, he gets back on the field, and who knows what role he's going to have when he gets back on the field. Isaiah Peed, hashtag you got peed on, Again, another very, very impressive performance. And I'm telling you, I don't think my eyes here are deceiving me. This He looks like physically one of the most talented backs on the roster. And this is not a kid that came out of absolutely nowhere. A former late second-round pick of the St. Louis Rams who didn't work out there, was a complete bust, but you know the physical talent is there. Saw it in St. Louis, see it here in Miami as well. And he's also a versatile threat. He can he can catch. He caught a 30-yard pass from Tannehill in this game. Had busted off two long runs in addition to last week. He just looks the part. Yeah, it's, I mean, if I'm Kenyon Drake, I'd already be trying to do everything I can to get back healthy and get back on that field. Knowing that Foster and Ajayi are going to see their touches and watching Isaiah Pete come in and make a damn strong case for being part of a, some form of a platoon in that backfield and having his role carved out. That's three running backs that, that are demanding touches for various reasons. That doesn't leave a lot of room for Kenyon Drake, who may end up being relegated to kick return duties with Jakeem Grant for his first season almost, unless somebody goes down with an injury. So Kenyon Drake's got to be on notice right now, basically because of the, the fact that Isaiah Pete is playing so well, and if he can keep it up, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm fine with having a lot of good running backs. Kenyon Drake definitely will make the roster simply because he was an early third-round pick. I can't – the only player that I've seen in almost 20 years of study in the draft who has been cut healthy after being drafted in the first 75 picks was Quentin Moses, a defensive end out of Georgia who actually played for the Dolphins after he was cut. But 
it, yeah, I mean, Kenyon Drake, he's going to be hard-pressed to be on the active 45 on game day. That's for sure. Looking at the rest of the running back depth chart, Damian Williams has been on the team for several years. I have a hard time believing that he's going to make the roster. I couldn't see the justification in keeping Williams as the fourth guy, especially over in Isaiah Pede at this point. Daniel Thomas got a lot of action in the finale. I don't see him making the roster either, thankfully. I, I just want to add one quick thing on Williams there. He's slashed enough talent that you may be able to get somebody to bite on him for anything. And, and I do mean anything. If someone's willing to throw you a seventh-round pick to guarantee that they get a shot at him, if you're Miami, you've got to be listening at this point if that's the case, and even actively shopping him. Because he is a talented player. He's just not going to fit in, especially given the talent that they already have there. So if you can get anything for him at this point in time, why wait until that final cut day? Start shopping him now. I, I disagree. He's a talented player. I think he is a versatile player, though. Uh, in the passing game, in pass protection, running the football and on special teams, he, he does bring a lot to the table and was also actually seeing looks for the Dolphins at fullback this preseason. If you do have a roster spot that you're looking at, maybe the Washington Redskins, who are a little bit hurt at running back after Matt Jones, their starting guy, went down past year just for a couple of weeks. But it's, it's a barren backfield there at the Washington Redskins. Maybe he gets a look there. Looking at the wide receiver position, Paul, let's get this out of the way. Jarvis Landry dropped two or three passes in this game, one of them for a touchdown. You know, not necessarily a drop, but he didn't get his head around quick enough. And, uh, you know, it would have made it a 7-7 to game. I'm not worried about Jarvis Landry dropping footballs during during a regular season game. Uh, I'll just chalk that up, get it out of the way. But I'll tell you what, the guy has got to control his emotions on the field because there were two times on the field he should have got a personal foul penalty and did not. I don't know what the referees were thinking in this game. The Dolphins should have got several personal foul penalties. A lot of people say, well, Jarvis Landry, he's he's a fiery guy. No, punching somebody and going up and hitting a player after the play is is not being fiery. It's being stupid. But still, all in all, I love Jarvis Landry. Yeah, I agree with you. He's got to learn how to play with contained fury. I do think he needs a little bit of that emotion, but he needs to just look back at his good buddy there, Odell Beckham Jr. up in New York, and look what happened to him last year and realize that there's a line that he's got to keep himself just on this side of. He can dance right up to that line and have fun getting there, but you just can't cross it or you're going to suddenly go from helping the team with the, with the fire that you have to hurting the team with the fire that you have. And he's a guy that's stepping into a leadership role this season. If you're going to be a leader, you got to be a leader, and you've got to also learn to hope, show restraint, I guess we'll go with. You bet. Still love Jarvis Landry. Both of us do. Devontae Parker caught a pass, also dropped, you know, dropped. I'm using, throwing around too loosely here on this show, but a pass in the end zone contested that we're expecting a Devontae Parker to come down with. But overall, when he's gotten on the field, the size, the speed, I, I like what I see out of him this preseason. Kenny Stills, phenomenal game. 55-yard catch, Paul, uh, as well as a, what, a 15-yard touchdown reception, too. Looks like he's cementing that number three role ahead of Leontay Carew. Yeah, I mean, he had the two touchdowns in this game. He had the 55-yarder. He's making a very strong case that he needs to be out on that field as much as possible. And I love what I'm seeing out of him. I don't care if it's been contract year. He's still building a very good rapport with Tannehill, and they're building up some great trust and limited action. And I can't wait to see what those two are able to do this season. So here's my question, Paul. At this point, when you look at the Dolphins wide receiver unit, even though Leontay Carew was a third-round pick and Jaquin Grant was a sixth-round pick, who are you 
playing as your number four receiver on game day? Is it going to be Carew to give him more of a chance, or is it going to be Jakeem Grant? Uh, right now, it would be Jakeem Grant, hands down. It's I would have thought Carew coming in with Jakeem spelling him, but honestly, at this point, I've seen more out of Jakeem, and I've seen more out of even Matt Hazel, even though he is, he is very limited stat-wise this preseason limited chances. I've seen more out of those two than I have out of Carew. Carew just looks like he hasn't caught up to the NFL level yet, speed-wise and read-wise. And until that happens, I'm not comfortable with him stepping in on that fourth receiver role. You may even see him inactive in week one if they do keep Hazel on the roster. I think that's exactly what you're going to see, especially, and we have to keep in mind that not only has Jakeem Grant improved at the receiver position in preseason and during training camp as well, but the Dolphins can, in every other team in the league, can only keep 45 players active on game day. And Jakeem Grant is already going to be your kick returner and punt returner. So if there is, if it's even close for that number four receiver job on the active 45 on game day, it's got to go to Jaquim Grant. He didn't catch a pass in this game, looked well uh, when given his opportunities on kick return and punt return. Didn't bust one, but I think that's just a matter of time until he does. Looking at the rest of the wide receiver depth chart, You've got Griff Whalen, who really has struggled to separate in any way from the pack this preseason and during training camp. A.J. Cruz, Rashawn Scott, and Brandon Ship, And I think we can all agree on that, Paul, that those four guys are cut off the roster. Yeah, and, and one thing I'll add as well is before the pads came on, Griff Whalen was kind of the apple of everybody's eye, the guy to watch, this and that, yada, yada, yada. But honestly, I know you said that he struggled to separate from the pack. What I've seen this preseason, he struggled to even catch up to the pack. And it's amazing what a difference it sometimes makes when these players put pads on because he's just disappeared completely since that happened. And I don't like the name Griff either, but that's a whole different story. (laughs) Well, looking at the wide receiver unit overall, I have five making the team. Landry, Parker, Stills, Grant, and Carew. I know you have those same five players. Do you also still have Matt Hazel making the team as the sixth guy? I do, and Carew's struggle to get up to NFL game speed only cements Hazel even more for me because you need five receivers you can count on for your active roster, and right now without Hazel, they don't have that, and I like what I've seen with the kid. I know he only had two catches for 14 yards in this one after having the heads-up 51-yarder in the game before, but I just think he is going to be somebody that they can count on a lot more than Carew at this point, even though I like Carew's long-term potential. Moving along to the tight end position, man, 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 what a rough day for these guys. Jordan Cameron just can't seem to put it together, not just based on what we've seen this preseason, but also in training camp, too, from the reports we've read. Yeah. Yeah. The Dolphins offensive coordinator put out a thing saying that they needed bigger plays from the tight ends, and I'd really come back with we need any plays from our tight ends at this point. I'd settle for the tight ends being mediocre. I don't get it. I mean, Deion Sims has not shown. He's shown a little bit in blocking, and that's about the highlight of the tight end thus far. After you get beyond a little bit of blocking from Deion Sims, it's trash, and, and that's not a good thing. Tight ends are a very critical part of, the, of any team's makeup. And Jordan Cameron seems to be picking off, picking up right below where he left off last year, not even where he was at last year. Thomas Duarte, he had that big touchdown catch in the first week against the Giants. Really invisible in this game, other than on special teams when he lets the defender run through and practically kill Matt Dar. So 
Yeah, I just, you know, you, you look at Jones there. He, he'll have a big positive play, and then he'll have two no-reason drops. It's, you just run down this tight ends list, and it's brutal. It is absolutely brutal, and it's probably the weakest area on the team right now. And if Jordan Cameron continues to fail to step up, you have to wonder how long it's going to be until Deion Sims is on the field in more of that full-time role because he can block, and, hey, at least he can go out and catch a five, seven-yard pass, which he did in this past game twice. That's based on what we're getting right now. That, that could be something to look forward to. Uh, Duarte, you touched on it, you know, almost got Matt Dar killed. And if you had gotten Matt Dar killed, man, oh, man, you'd have a lot more problems with us on this show. But <laughs> not only that, but Duarte, if he is going to make the team and be active on game day, he has to make blocks like that. And he completely 100% whiffed. He and he only whiffed on that play. Hopefully he picks it up next week. Um, you know, I, I think there's a lot of, of, of bulk that he has to add moving forward. One player that continues to stick out, at least on the stat sheet, is Dominique Jones. Two catches for 36 yards. He had a 20-yard catch last week, also dropped a big pass last week, too. Looks like he has the physical capabilities to at least make a roster spot. I don't think he's there yet, but if he continues to stand out, you never know. Yeah, for me, I look at it, and I, I basically, I, as much as I do think he makes some some good plays, I just think they're, for every good play, they're counteracted by two bad plays, and at this point, that's just not good enough. And it's not good enough to unseat the, the three ahead of him that are playing with basically hot garbage at this point. It's not good enough so for Paul, me to justify the roster spot. So, Paul, I have Jordan Cameron, Deion Sims, Thomas Duarte making the 53-man roster. Are you sticking with that this week? We'll go with sure, because... I do, but I, I, it's, it's not a strong it's good endorsement. I think I'm with you. I'm giving Duarte at least one more week to prove himself because, yeah, he, he does have the receiving skills, the pure receiving skills. And, you know, Jordan Cameron, unless there's a miraculous turnaround during the year, isn't going to be here in 2017. So if Dolphins need as many bodies as they can get at the tight end spot. Offensive line, you know, uh, Brandon Albert and Jawan James starting at those tackle positions. Albert allowed a pressure, but just like Jarvis Landry, I'm willing to give Brandon Albert the benefit of the doubt, even if he has a porous preseason and a porous training camp. He had a great, he had a, well, he had, he had a good season last year. As long as he stays healthy, I'm at least confident that he's going to be a serviceable left tackle, if not a very good one. At right tackle, Juwan James, I seem to be a little bit higher on him than you, Paul. I think that his ability to is to get in the way, big, long arms, and at least redirect the defensive end makes him valuable. Looking back at his last couple of years, he's played, what, 12, 1,300 snaps, has only let up about eight sacks. So I'm still willing to, to stick with Juwan James, but a lot of people are starting to get down on him, including you. Yeah, and I, I wouldn't go so far as to say down on him. I just, I don't think he's anything special, which... I'm okay with the fact that he's not. He, there definitely is a role for him. And unless somebody can show up and be special and unseat him, then he should start. And I'm okay with him being out there starting. But if Jermon Bushrod and Billy Turner outplay him and you need to get your five best out on that field on the offensive line, they both have tackle experience. Billy Turner, in previous years when he's gotten in a tackle, has looked pretty damn good. And that, that's been part of our justification in calling for him to get some playing time. So if Billy Turner outplays him, but they need to get Jermon Bush around in as well, I'm not terribly busted up about the idea of slopping him out. He's not an untouchable for me. 
The Dolphins' backup tackle positions, really I, I would assume Jermon Bushrod is going to be that first offensive tackle. Looking beyond him, you've to me, you have a three-way competition for one roster spot, and it may not even be one roster spot between Sam Young, Ulrich John, and Viston Painter. So, Paul, looking at those three players, Young, Ulrich John, and, and Viston Painter, I've got to say right now Sam Young's probably the one in the lead by default. You know, he's, he's been in the league. He started some games, actually started at left tackle for the Jaguars when they were playing the Dolphins in week two last year has some left tackle, right tackle experience. But Jermaine Bushrod, I would assume, is going to be that, that third-string tackle if he doesn't win one of the guard spots. So, Young, Ulrich, Painter, Paul, do you have one of these on your 53-man roster? Uh, I didn't up until the pouncy injury. I, I'd have to put Young on there for now until we really, truly know the timetables around Pouncey's injury and, and his return. You know, I did put Sam Young on there, too, and I, I think it's important that – Jermon Bushrod focuses in on those three interior line spots. He did get some looks at center with the Bears last year, at least in practice. His ability to play all five line positions is why Gase was so attracted to him uh, heading into this year. So I have Sam Young uh, beefing up the tackle spot there. Viston Painter has, you know, he's looked okay. He's somebody who may be worth taking a look at here in these last two preseason games was drafted in the fifth round by the Broncos a couple of years ago because he has that athleticism, but Ulrich John, a player I initially had making the 53-man roster as one of my sleepers, has looked pretty bad here this preseason. So moving along to the guards position, Paul, Laramie Tunzel, Billy Turner, Jermon Bushrod, Craig Urbick, Dallas Thomas, and then lonely Reuben Carter, the undrafted free agent on the bottom of the roster. How do you see this guard position shaping out? Honestly, I just think I just think four of those guys get kept at this point. And, and like you said, the, the scheme versatility, positional versatility is key. For me, I, I definitely see Tunsil and Turner being the starting guards in week one at this point. And having Bushrod and Dallas Thomas, who I know not, nobody has love for amongst Dolphin fans. But Dallas Thomas does have the ability to play guard or tackle in a pinch. And we already talked about Bushrod. He can play any of the five positions on the line. When you're a backup offensive lineman, you need positional versatility. And Dallas Thomas goes from a well-below-average starter to a pretty good backup. And so I'll take it. You know, it's Craig Urbic. No. Ruben Carter? No. Sorry. You're a camp body at this point until you prove otherwise. I will take Craig Urbic on the roster over Dallas Thomas. Uh, big reason, Dallas Thomas would make $1.7 million this year. I think Urbic would make a little bit less than that for the Miami Dolphins. And I think Urbic, does, Urbic has some ability as well to play, to play the center position that Dallas Thomas doesn't have. I think Dallas Thomas gets the axe. I have Tunzel, Turner, Bushrod, and Urbic making the final roster. The center position, Paul, you know, it's, again, we go go to the center position with Mike Pouncey potentially being out for the first week. Anthony Steen is going to get that call up to center. I think based on what I've, what I've heard, what I've seen, and what I've, what I've looked at in preseason, that he's earned that roster spot. And he's, I think, as has played better than Jameel Douglas. The question now becomes at that center spot, do you see Steen and Jameel Douglas making the roster? Because Mike Pouncey is not going to go on PUP if he's just missing the first week. Yeah. I look at it and Jameel Douglas, his ability to make the roster here. If Miami does go ahead and give Bushrod 
a little bit of a chance to try playing center in a game situation late. And we'll go with late here in this third game and possibly a little bit in the fourth game. And he does well. I think that seals Jamil Douglas' fate with the team. If he gets in and does poorly and they're not able to find anyone better, then I think he's got a chance of being on the roster for week one. I don't know beyond that. It's going to depend upon Pouncey's timetable. But his his roster spot is going to be wholly dependent on a lot of factors at this point, unfortunately. I like the promise that this can show. It's going to depend upon Pouncey's timetable. It's going to depend upon if anybody else on the roster can step in and do an okay job as the backup center. And it's going to depend upon the cut list of every other team. Because let's face it, I'm under no illusions based on the way the coaches have utilized Douglas thus far that he's anywhere in the top 45 players on this roster. He's down in that roster churn where people get cut and assigned over and over again throughout the season. So let's face it, the second a better option or a potentially better option comes available, he might be out the door. He might be, and Jameel Douglas is probably going to be the 53rd player on my roster looking at it simply because he has some versatility. This team drafted him in the fourth round and he's really not making anything compared to a lot of these other linemen like Sam Young and Dallas Thomas and Craig Urbeck, who, if they make the roster, are going to make over a million dollars. That's the only thing to me keeping Jameel Douglas on the team. I'm very disappointed that he's not at least a backup at this point, and it doesn't look like the Dolphins are in any hurry to move him off that uh, third-string team and into the backup role. You are listening to On the Fin Side. Follow us on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter as well at BrianCat13 and follow Paul at Fanatic underscore Pick as well. Paul, looking at the defensive side of the ball, really rough week for them against uh, the Dallas Cowboys. To be honest, the Dallas Cowboys probably have one of the best offensive lines in football. In fact, I even go a step further. I think it's pretty clear they have the best offensive line in football. We really saw that up the middle with uh, Lael Collins, Travis Frederick, Zach Martin, two are perennial pro bowlers. Lael Collins is not too far behind. Had pretty a pretty rough game here. Cameron Wake did not play. We'll await his return, and man, oh man, is it going to be an important return in the first two weeks. He's going to be going up against two very bad right tackles in, in Seattle uh, and New England, probably facing, uh, you know, Bradley Sowell from Seattle and Anthony Cannon for the New England Patriots. Mario Williams, you know, uh, there's split decisions on his performance. I think everybody's looking at his missed tackle on Alfred Morris, that, and then Alfred ran for 20 yards after that. Um, are you concerned by Mario's performance, Paul? Not yet. If these starting defensive linemen have seen such limited action. And let's face it, we, you know, Zach Thomas, a bunch of people in the past have come out and said it's very, very hard for a seasoned veteran to get up for a pre, any preseason game, let alone the first, second, or fourth. I mean, it's you should be able to, but let's face it, he's not competing for a roster spot. He's not competing in a game that means anything. He's basically going out to get a little warmed up and to not get hurt. And mission accomplished. He got a little warmed up and didn't get hurt. Yeah, I won't defend what Mario Williams did on that long run by Alfred Morris. He got him from the blind side, didn't wrap up the tackle. But I'll tell you what about Mario Williams, and here's what Dolphins fans need to keep in mind. This is not Olivier Vernon. Olivier Vernon was 6'3", 255 pounds, was that new age defensive end. Mario Williams is 6'5", 300 pounds. He is an edge setter. He is a push-the-pocket, get-double-teamed type of defensive end. And I did see that a little bit in the 
this game where Mario was getting those double teams, pushing the pocket, not as far as I would have liked, but uh, I think that people should expect a little bit of a different player with Mario Williams compared to Olivier Vernon. Um, is he done? I don't know yet, but I'm not going to judge that based on one game. Jason Jones got some snaps at defensive end. He could be battling with Andre Branch, with Deion Jordan, Terrence Fiday for that third or fourth defensive end spot. You know, Paul, I see Jason Jones uh, off of a lot of Miami Dolphins fans' predictions for the 53-man roster. Do you still have Jason Jones making the team? I do. I don't think he's challenging Andre Branch, but I definitely think we're going to see more defensive ends than we expect make the team and possibly only three or three, maybe four defensive tackles uh, make the game. And, and a lot of that has to do with the positional versatility. And I will say from an odd perspective, one thing I noticed in this game, Earl Mitchell took a few snaps out of right defensive end. And that was intriguing for me because he does have better speed than a lot of people give him credit for, especially given the fact that he was formerly a fullback um, in college. And that intrigues me because it may find a little better positional fit for Earl Mitchell if he's able to kick out the defensive end once in a while. And that could be the only thing that challenges Jones. And Earl also has the ability to play fullback in a pinch, and I don't see another player on the roster that can do that. That really does keep Earl Mitchell's job safe, whether or not – yeah, it doesn't really matter if he beats out Jordan Phillips for the starting defensive tackle job because they're going to be rotating so much. But going back to defensive end – and the roster battles, I still have seven players at defensive end making the roster for a lot of reasons. Cameron Wake, Mary Williams, Jason Jones, Andre Branch, Deion Jordan, Terrence Fiday, Chris McCain. Now, the reason that I have seven is because you can't kick Jason Jones inside to play defensive tackle. You can't have Jordan and McCain in a, in a pinch playing that outside linebacker position. But... Andre Branch, I'll tell you what, people make a big deal about two plays in this game. Number one, he had a 15-yard late hit penalty that busted up IAQ's potential interception. Um, he also missed the backside pursuit on Alfred Morris on his 15-yard touchdown run. Other than that, I saw somebody who was big, quick, active, getting in the backfield all the time, and a player that is, is trying to really remove that bus label, too. Yeah, no, I actually was very impressed with what I saw from Andre Branch on the whole this weekend. I mean, yeah, you take those two plays under a microscope, the two that you're probably going to see on a sports center highlights of a game, and, and sure, you know, you take that quick knee-jerk reaction, and oh my God, he played terrible. But if you watch the entirety of the game, he was on the field a lot, and he was getting penetration, he was containing, he was doing a lot of impressive things, and it's probably the best I've seen from him and really cemented him more than anything I've seen thus far. I couldn't agree more. I think that there's a lot to work with there. Terrence Fiday uh, played well in his first preseason game. I didn't see a whole heck of a lot in this game. I, when he, when Fiday and Andre Branch were on the field, I saw two completely different talent levels. Paul, is uh, Terrence Fiday, is his roster spot in jeopardy at this point, or do you still see him making the roster? It might be in jeopardy, which surprises me to say because he flashed so much promise last year. And his only potential saving grace is he is a defensive end that could potentially kick inside. But I've got him for now, but he better get a little bit of a fire under his ass or he may not be on that final. Looking at the defensive tackle spot, Ndamukong Sue 
played really well against Zach Martin. A typical game from Sue, where he doesn't—he he didn't have any massive signature plays, but I thought he played really well and against probably the best in the business in Zach Martin. Zach Martin holds him on the first play of the game. I thought Sue was really getting that push. But we know the guy's great. He's a player that you know whether he plays well or he plays poorly in a preseason game, we know what he's what he's made of, what he's all about. So, Paul, looking at the defensive tackle position or the defensive line in its entirety, we've talked about Wake, Mario Williams, Jason Jones, Branch, Deion Jordan, Sue Mitchell, and Phillips making the team. That right there is eight defensive linemen. Taking a look at the rest, Terrence Fiday, Chris McCain, Chris Jones, DeAndre Coleman, Julius Wormsley, Cleon Lang, Cedric Reed, Jordan Williams. In addition to the eight that I mentioned to begin with, who else could potentially make this roster and who do you have? Uh, Chris McCain is a definite. Wormsley is a guy that as much as I try to not even pay attention to him out there because you would think he's a bottom of the roster guy. He keeps demanding that you look at him because he had two sacks in that Giants game. And while he didn't get a sack in this game, he had constant penetration. You've got to think he's at least, at the very least, going to be on that practice squad if he doesn't make the bottom end of the, the active roster for the season. Not only do I have Wormsley as a practice squad guy, I have him making the 53-man roster. Uh, 6'2", 270 pounds, has bounced around the league with a few different teams trying to get an opportunity. To me, Paul, at the bottom of the roster in these two preseason games, and the Snickers I've heard coming out of training camp is, this is the player on the bottom of the roster that's starting to make the most of his opportunities. I have him supplanting Chris Jones at this point as that fourth defensive tackle on the 53-man roster. I'm going to keep Terrence Fiday in there for now. But if he has another bad week or another bad preseason game against the Atlanta Falcons, man, oh, man, he's going to be in trouble because this is the time for Terrence today. He has the size. He has the ability. But he's got to start turning it up here in his third season. Uh, the linebacker position, just a mess in this game. Kiko Alonso, Jelani Jenkins, uh, taking a look at them. It, it seems, Paul, like they pl- when Jenkins and, and w- when Jelani Jenkins was playing, last year against teams like the New England Patriots that were very pass heavy. He did really well. But then when it came to games where, you know, they, they ran at him a lot, it, it always seemed like we were not very impressed with them. And, uh, you know, I think at this point it's looking like the same for Kiko Alonso. I mean, can we really have Kiko Alonso and Jelani Jenkins out there on the field in these 14 to 13 games? It's a scary proposition for me, especially given the fact that Miami's going to that wide nine default where they're spreading that defensive line out, forcing the offensive line, generate those holes for the linebackers to fill and make tackles. And we have two linebackers that are more pass coverage specialists and are prone to missing tackles. So that does scare me a little bit. We've gotten gas in the running game over the past few years and Coamisi's strength is run defense, but let's face it, he can't be the only one trying to fill those holes or it's not going to happen. I've seen both Jenkins and Kiko get washed out by one-on-one blocks thus far, and that scares me along with the missed tackles. So it's a scary proposition. Luckily, I'm kind of high on the no-names that are behind them. And those no-names include, in addition to Koamisi, who uh, was what he was, good against the run, not very good against the pass. Uh, That's what we can come to expect from him. I'm higher on Koa than you are, but um, the rest of the guys, Neville Hewitt, Zach Vigil is still on the PUP list. We anticipate his return pretty quickly. Um, Neville Hewitt didn't play all that well 
well, but you know, I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. Really gets down Paul to that six linebacker spot if we do keep six linebackers between a handful of players. Spencer Paysinger, Mike Hall, James Michael Johnson. Do you have a six linebacker making the roster and who is it? I do. Uh for right now it's kind of a back and forth battle for me between Mike Hall and James Michael Johnson. It's the first game against the Giants, Mike Hall really stood out. But in this game, uh, I thought James Michael Johnson was probably one of our most reliable, if not the most reliable linebackers in the game. So it's a back and forth battle between those two. For right now, I'll flip it back to James Michael Johnson, but he could get unseated by Mike Hall again. Mike Hall comes out strong in his third preseason game. Yeah, James Michael Johnson definitely has more of the physical upside. Looks the part. I thought he got washed out a little bit more in this game than he did in the first preseason game. But that that's one of the battles to take a look at. Spencer Paysinger does have experience in the league, played with the Giants for quite a bit, started some games, played special teams. He would be the more the safer option to make the 53-man roster, but we've seen everything we need to see out of Spencer Paysinger. I still have five linebackers making the roster, assuming Zach Vigil gets healthy in time. Kiko Alonso, Jenkins, Misi, Hewitt, and Vigil. Paul has James Michael Johnson as his sixth linebacker. I'm going to stay with five because I see some versatility with Deion Jordan and, and Chris McCain, especially on game day. But Mike Hall, man, he's going to be tough to keep off that 53-man roster. A player that C.K. Parrott is very high on but agrees that he's probably more of a practice squad guy is Tyler Gray, number 57. So keep a look out for him. If he starts making some plays, he may start to creep into that race. Undrafted free agent out of Boise State. Akil Blount the son of Mel Blunt and James Burgess, the undrafted free agent out of Louisville, looking pretty rough at this point in the preseason. I can't see them making the roster. Paul, looking at the cornerback spot, Byron Maxwell was beat on a touchdown uh, by Des Bryant, one of the most talented receivers in the game. Is it because Des Bryant was so good on that play or because Maxwell may be giving us a reason to be concerned? Let's face it. He got beat by Des Bryant, and Des Bryant has a habit of at least once or twice a game, making even the best defensive backs look absolutely stupid. So I'm not going to freak out over that. It's Maxwell is going to get beat sometimes. He's not going to shut out every wide receiver every week. We know that. We knew that coming in. And I still think he's the number one corner on this team. Do I think we could get better? God, I hope so. But let's face it, he's making this roster. And I've heard good things about him coming out of camp, too. And he's also in a defense, unlike last year in Philadelphia, that more suits his physical ability. So uh, I think Maxwell is not going to be the next Sam Madison, but I think he's going to be a very good cornerback for the Dolphins. Chris Culliver is going to return, hopefully in a couple of weeks, from uh, the PUP list. Xavier Howard is closer to returning for the Miami Dolphins to contribute into that secondary. He has a lot of catching up to do, but... He's not, it's not going to be this week against the Falcons. He's been ruled out for that game. Hopefully in the fourth preseason game, he gets maybe even an opportunity to start on that. Tony Lippett and Bobby McCain. Um, you know, at least on the, the stat sheet, Paul, looks like they had pretty tough games. Yeah, on the stat sheet, they do. Uh, I thought Lippett had some pretty good coverage at times, and I thought McCain actually had some good coverage where it was just a situation 
with perfect pass speed, great coverage. And, and so I'm not ready to knock these guys. I like the young promise, and especially if there are three or four or fifth quarterback. I like these guys for that role. I have big-time concerns about their athleticism, um, and I can't wait for Chris Culliver and Xavier Howard to return to the lineup. Bobby McCain tries really hard, and he always comes up with some potential big plays. He had he had a great interception in, in the first preseason game, uh, almost had a second interception, almost had another interception this past week, but also was torched by Bryce Butler on a 55-yard um, pass. Yeah, he had some pretty good coverage downfield, but it didn't quite cut it. Uh, it seems like he's just hit or miss on every play. I do think Bobby McCain still makes the roster. Hopefully he develops, but I don't know. Tony Lippett went up against Des Bryant at the beginning and uh, ha- drew a pass interference penalty by at least like the physicality of him willing to go up face-to-face with Des Bryant. Yeah, no, I'd agree there. And one thing I just want to add on Bobby McCain is, and I realize he's not the exact same player, but Dolphins fans will remember when Terrell Buckley was a Dolphin. Buckley was a guy that he'd make a few amazing plays and then he'd get torched for a 50-yarder. But all in all, the good outweighed the bad. And I think Bobby McCain's in a similar mold where he's that small, chippy corner that's going to be going balls out every play. He's going to try to make something special happen. And unfortunately, if you're trying to make something special happen, you're going to sometimes do it, but other times it's going to blow up in your face. So you got to take the good with the bad with him. And I still like the upside there. Paul, that's a great observation, great comparison with Bobby McCain and Terrell Buckley because that's what we've seen in Bobby McCain so far. That hit and miss comes up with a big play but also gives a lot up. So you got to decide, are you going to take the good with the bad at this point? Uh, Paul, I think we're all in agreement that the top five cornerbacks who are going to make this roster are Maxwell Culliver, Xavier Howard, Lippitt, and Bobby McCain in no particular order. Uh, in addition to that, do you have a sixth or maybe even a seventh cornerback making the team? I've still got Sheckle making the team, mainly from his special teams prowess. And I think the weird thing for for Sheckle is going to be the fact that some of his making the team isn't going to rely upon the cornerback position. It's going to rely upon what happens at the linebacker position. Because if they don't keep Spencer Pacinger, if they don't keep Mike Hall, they need some special teamers. And that's where Sheckle would come into play. I have Jordan Lucas making the roster as as the sixth cornerback. Yeah, he and Chekwa, that's an interesting battle for the reasons that you said. Chekwa has experience in the league, was a special teams player for the Raiders, former fourth-round pick out of Ohio State, so has some physical ability. And, you know, he's only, what, 26, 27 years old. Um, Jordan Lucas, I even though he hasn't flashed a whole heck of a lot, I, I think he does have some physical skills, and the Dolphins thought enough of him to draft him in the middle of the sixth round. Sometimes that carries some weight. Brandon Harris and uh, Rasheen Melvin as well. Uh, you know, I, I can't see them really making the roster. Lafayette Pitts, Aloie John, eh, undrafted free agents. Paul, what else would you like to add to the cornerback conversation? Well, one thing I will say is, is I know Chuck was not a household name, and for those of our listeners out there, Take a look back at our archives. We actually had a, a quick interview with him uh, over the summer. Really cool guy, a lot, a lot of cool stories to him. So take a look back. It's a short interview. I think it's like eight to ten minutes long. But I think it's, it's a good listen. He, he's, he's a pretty cool guy with a pretty cool story. So just another opportunity to learn some stuff. Check it out on onthefinside.com. Also, subscribe to our YouTube channel as well and our Facebook page and to Twitter too. Looking at the safety position, Rashad Jones isn't getting much action, doesn't need to. 
uh, IEQ, Isa Abdul Qudas. Uh, you know, one of these days I'm going to say that perfectly straight in, straight in line, no questions asked. But right now, Paul, you know, first game was a little rough for him, had an interception that was called back uh, in this game. How do you feel about him right now pairing up next to Rashad Jones in the secondary? I definitely like it a little more than I did after the Giants game. Not only did he have that interception that ended up getting called back, he actually came up and filled in run support uh, where I had to rewind two or three times just to find where the hell the guy came from. To, to come up and, and fill right in the middle of that defensive line almost. So I think it could be that we finally have that good pairing with Rashad Jones that we've been look, waiting for and looking for. I mean, I'm going to reserve judgment a little bit for a few more weeks, but I saw a lot more signs of life out of him in this game than I did the previously. Yeah, me too. I'm, I'm, I'll take the wait-and-see approach. I, part of me thinks that he has a lot of energy to him. He closes quickly. Other part of me thinks that he might be just another guy. I'll reserve my judgment for another day. The backups, I actually have three safeties making the roster poll. Michael Thomas, because of his special teams ability, has not looked good this preseason. I'm somebody who's defended Michael Thomas a lot on the show, but man, oh man, I think he might be too small to play even as that seventh or eighth defensive back, but great special teamer, and I think that's where he makes the roster. Uh, Walt Aikens, you know, it might be time for Walt Aikens to get more playing time on that regular defense over Michael Thomas. I completely agree. It's Last year, they were kind of battling to keep off the field, um, justifying putting the other one in, and let's face it, you got Michael Thomas, who I won't say he's too small to play the position, but he just doesn't seem to have the heart on the field to play the position, which is unfortunate. He's a nice guy. We've gotten to talk with him. Uh, really, really nice guy. Showed a lot of promise early with the Dolphins. And too many times I see him let up that he could be making the play or just kind of give up on a play, which you don't want safeties to give up on plays ever. It's just not good business to do that. And given the fact that you've got Walt Akins, who's showing more and more that he deserves to get some time out on the field, even if his best shot at that is going to be on special teams and in the dime packages. And then you've got a guy like Shamil Gary, who seems to always be in the right spot at the right time, even though he doesn't seem like he would be anything special. Doesn't seem overly big, doesn't seem overly fast, et cetera, which I know you've pointed out some of that in previous weeks. But he's a guy that I like him and I like his upside. And haven't seen him give up, have to see him go balls out and make make a play. Sometimes we really shouldn't be able to make one. And then you see Michael Thomas be in perfect position to make the play and then just kinda of go, eh, oh well, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just Yeah, here. and it may right, it may just be the sample size with Shamil Gary too. You know, he was signed late last year and he doesn't get as many opportunities as Michael Thomas and Walt Aikens. But when I see Gary, he, you know, I can think of so many plays where Michael Thomas and Walt Aikens and Bobby McCain, where I was thinking, what the hell were you doing on that play? I don't see those with Shamil Gary. Maybe it's the sample size, maybe it isn't. But he does seem like somebody who's big, who's strong, and even though he's not the fastest guy, does seem to be in the right position at the right time. So I don't have to ask you, Paul, if Shamil Gary's on your 53-man roster. I know that he is. So looking at the, the safety spot, are we in agreement here? Rashad Jones, IAQ, Michael Thomas, Walt Akins, and Shamil Gary. We are, but I can see a scenario where Michael Thomas ends up being a final cut here just based on 
what we've already said. It would be a surprise, especially given his special team's ability, but he's definitely not standing out on regular defense. We don't have to get through the rest. Paul, we know the special teams. Andrew Franks, Matt Darr, John Denny. We've got the backups and, and Cone, the kicker, and DeSalvo at the long snapper spot. So, Paul, the next time that we get on the air, after the Dolphins have played the Atlanta Falcons, we are going to be inching closer to that August 30th date. That's when the Dolphins are going to cut the roster from 90 down to 75 players. Still a lot to talk about as we make sense of this Dolphins final 53-man roster. Follow us again on the Fin side on Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. And as Brian Miller used to say, if it's not on the left side and it's not on the right side, it's on the Fin side. Solo D, take us home. It ain't the left side or the right side. And it must be the fin side. side. It ain't the left side or the right, right side. side. And it must be the fin side. Listen, Dolphins fans across the land all tuning in to see what Brian Cat and Paul about to do again. We rep our team, you can't change, stop or ruin it. All we need is to figure what to do to win. Fins radio, live and direct. Win or lose, we're showing up for every contest. No puppet talk, it's all raw and unfiltered. Voice of the fans when the season looks peculiar. Rockin' Apple Orange over here, and you familiar. Every week they coming through our speakers to fulfill the crap we have to hear about our team and all the latest news. Vets, the rookies trying to make the team paying dues. Current players and alumni interviews. City to city, state to state, follow the moves. Call the hotline, Dolphins talk set to go. Best sports team and show all across the globe. Fin. It ain't the left side or the right side, and it must be the fin side. It ain't the left side or the right side, and it must be the fin side. It ain't the left side or the right side, and it must be the fin side. It ain't the left side.